Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Missio podcast. I'm Daniel Jarko, and I'm filling in for Jared this week. And so we are continuing our series on the story of all stories, where we've been working through uh, the entire uh, the entire Bible, the whole story of God and humanity. And so uh, we've made it pretty far. We're all the way up to First Peter that we're going to be looking at this week. And so. Um, I'm excited to get to share about uh, this book because it's one that, that I really love, that I come back to uh, over and over and over again. I think it's uh, incredibly relevant for us as Christians who are happen to be living in America in this present moment. I think it uh, provides us with a powerful reframe of how we should posture ourselves in the world as Christians. And so I'm excited to share some insights into that. I hope that um, maybe God will speak through that, uh, through this podcast. And so we're really just going to jump in. I'm going to share some kind of basic thoughts about the book, hopefully bring out some of the major themes, and just help us reflect on some of the things that are going on in our world and how First Peter can help shape us in that. And so um, the book starts off just like this. It says, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who are elect exiles of the diaspora. So this is a book that's uh, claiming to be uh, written by the apostle Peter. And so this is one of the books that we can date uh, pretty well, actually. That's probably 60... 2 to 63 AD, um, because there's a very small window, because the book um, is saying that it's by Peter, saying that Peter was in Rome, and so 62 and 63 would have been um, that time period where Peter is in Rome but has not been martyred. And so um, it's around that time period where he sends um, this letter out to the elect exiles of the diaspora. So this is a book that's for exiles. And this is hearkening back to a very rich tradition in uh, the biblical text where all the way back in uh, Jeremiah 29, there's this well-known letter to the exiles where the prophet Jeremiah is sending a letter to uh, those Israelite people who have been taken out of their homeland and brought to Babylon and Assyria and other places, taken to far-off lands uh, to live in exile and as sojourners in lands that are not their own. And so Jeremiah is trying to help them live in a culture that uh, is not defined by their story or their values and helping them live and thrive in those places that they now find themselves. And so it's very interesting when we come into the New Testament where this idea of the people of God being exiles uh, becomes a central uh, image of the people of God. It becomes the central image of what our lives are and how our posture is supposed to be in the world. That this world is not our own. It doesn't share uh, the values of God, the ways of Jesus. It actually values radically different things. And so 
Peter and other authors um, are hearkening back to Jeremiah and using that as a way to talk to us about um, how we should live in the world, how we should live as exiles and sojourners in the world. And so I think that's a really powerful reframe. You know, uh, in our um, current context in in America, we've been talking a lot about uh, and hearing a lot about Christian nationalism, which is the very opposite, right, of this idea of being in exile. Uh, Christian nationalism is where the political system, the government, actually is supposedly defined by those values and has the uh, cultural and societal power and centered place within a culture. And so that's the opposite of being in exile, where you're marginalized, you're on the outset, your story is not the central story of a society or culture. And to be sure, Christian nationalism is not something that's new by any means. Uh, It's got a long history. However, at the same time, this is a uh, particular time where we seem to be um, have more people reckoning with this idea. And that's why I find First Peter such a helpful book, is that um, it helps us live in a world where we don't have to be fearful of being in a culture that doesn't, <laughs> isn't centered around our values. We don't have to um, desire and long for those things. Um, but that we know that Christians throughout the centuries have lived in radically different places, different nations, and done just fine and fulfilled the call that God had on them, uh, even without political and cultural power. And so I love First Peter for that because he is inviting us into that world of living as exiles. And so for First, First Peter, he's particularly talking about these churches in Asia, the ones that he mentions as Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. These are all um, different territories within Asia Minor, which is uh, modern-day Turkey. And this is a place and a time that was um, known for intense persecution, um, probably during Emperor Nero's reign, where, um, you know, especially the first couple of centuries of Christian history, you have... uh, different reigns that brought about different levels of persecution or not persecution. Uh, Under Nero, this was one of the most intense, where uh, the people, uh, the Christians in Asia, uh, were probably um, facing very intense persecution, uh, marginalization for sure, and some of them um, probably even facing death. And so you've got first, you've got Peter trying to encourage them. He's trying to send this letter to give them encouragement to keep the faith, even under this intense persecution. And so, um, you know, in our current context, I don't think many of us are facing death, and we should be thankful for that. But we do face different types of persecution that Christians Um, in all kinds of different places have, whether that's uh, marginalization at work or losing friendships, losing pay at times for what we stick up for, 
Um, all of these things have been a part of the Christian life. And Peter is trying to invite us into keeping the faith, living as exiles, and trusting in God that um, he's, gonna, he's going to take care of us. And so we're going to start going in a little bit deeper. So we're going to pick up a couple of these main themes. And the first one, just want to expand a little bit more on this theme of, uh, of being exiles. One of, the, uh, one of the major sections, I would say probably to me, I think the key theme verses in the whole book come in chapter 2, verses 9 through 12. And so it starts off by saying this, and this may be a well-known one for you. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. And um, I, I think this is such an interesting take, right? So we're saying that this is a book for exiles, and yet in this kind of theme verse, Peter is actually um, saying, no, you are a holy nation. You are a royal priesthood, a chosen race. So it's like we are exiles, but we're also a holy nation. We're a holy nation and a holy community of exile spread out throughout the world. <laughs> and that's kind of a, um, kind of a perplexing thing to me. It's kind of a, um, thing that almost doesn't make sense, like an oxymoron or something that how can we be exiles, but also, also a holy nation. I think this is one of those things that invites us into being set apart, not because of our national identity, like in Christian nationalism or any other kind of nationalism. And we could say any other kind of, uh, you know, just tribal identity, group identity that we could take on. It invites us not to put our primary identities into those things, but our primary identities into this new people of God, this new royal priesthood that we all partake in, this group of people who's called to proclaim the excellencies of God because he called us out of darkness, gave us mercy, that we have received so much out of God that then we together share that with the world. And it really invites us to that allow that to take much greater precedence than any other kind of group identity that we could. And unfortunately, um, things like nationalism or, you know, he mentions race, you are a chosen race. Um, things like nationalism, things like white supremacy and other um, things like that have been a temptation even for God's people where we can make those things the, the main identifier and even oppress others who don't share those things. And Peter instead invites us to be exiles. He invites us to set our identity in this new people of God who are set right, who are trying to become righteous and become just, rather than all of these other identifiers that we can use to oppress others. 
So he invites us into this new identity. And then he goes on in the next couple of verses where he says, Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh, which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of his visitation. So you see those kind of two things. You know, he starts off with, he, he wants to re-impress on the people, this is who you are. You may be spiritual exiles. You may be sent off to the far reaches of the world, but you and we together are still a community. We are a holy nation, a royal priesthood, a chosen race of people. He wants to impress on them their true identity and then call them into the ways of that community, the ways that represent Jesus in the world. And so I love these two things. It's, it's very simple. Keep holy and do good. Keep holy and do good. We keep ourselves holy. We abstain from those things that wage against our souls. And that can come in all kinds of different ways. It could be uh, bitterness. It could be sexual impurity. It could be anger. It could be all kinds of different things that wage war against our souls that can keep us from being holy and being like God. So we abstain from those things. At the same time, or at the, uh, you know, maybe we think about it as a, a different thing, an opposite thing, we do good. Okay, so we abstain from what's evil and we do good. And I really like that because to me, is there any more simple thing than God just saying, do good? You know, sometimes we make things like this so much more difficult than it has to be. But how we live out the ways of Jesus is to do good in the world. And even when people speak poorly about us, Sometimes our actions speak for themselves. And sometimes when people uh, speak poorly of us, if we have kept our actions good and honorable, then the people who are real see that. They see that we are above reproach. I love how simple that is. It's just do good. This is what God wants for us is to do good in our, in our world. Love the people around us. And so we do that because it's right, but then it also provides uh, this practical purpose of when people speak against us, um, our good works speak for themselves. And so it can actually um, cause the people who speak poorly of us to uh, question that and to second guess that and to think twice about it because of the good things that we're doing. And so he's encouraging the people to just simply keep holy and do good. So we abstain from those bad things. We pursue those things that are good. We don't abstain from those neutral things, right? So, okay, what separates us as exiles is not just random things. You know, it's not just 
you know, creating a Christian subculture to be a Christian subculture. We're not um, told to be exiles because we're weirdos, right? You know, I mean, it's okay if you're just naturally a weirdo. You're you're good here. You are you have received mercy. You are a part of our community. We're all kind of weirdos, but we shouldn't be a particular kind of weirdo to be a Christian or to have our own language that we use that no one else understands. We just abstain from those things that are truly evil and let those things that are neutral just be neutral. And we pursue good and we certainly don't pursue what's evil. We don't stick up for what's evil. So we have this clear way of Jesus that we're trying to fulfill in the world. As a community of exiles, we simply keep holy from those things that wage against our souls, and we do good in the world. That's a very simple call. And so, going to move on now. There's uh, really just one other big theme that I want to touch on. And this one is, again, so simple, but I think it's it's really powerful. Is first, first Peter, so much of it, is built on this theology of following in Jesus' Jesus's footsteps. So it, it really is as simple as, what would Jesus do? Right? It's this following in Jesus' footsteps is the theology that undergirds so much of what's in First Peter. And so this is just uh, one example. And so this is, again, in chapter 2, starting in verse 21. For to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving for you an example so that you might follow in his footsteps. Jesus committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree, that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. For you were straying like sheep, but now you have returned to the shepherd and overseer of our souls. So it's this idea of even in suffering, we should follow in Jesus' footsteps. That because he suffered, we also can suffer. And because he didn't revile people when he suffered, we also don't have to revile people. When he suffered and didn't threaten people, we also can suffer without threatening people. I find this to be such a um, subversive message in our world today. Because we have so many messages in our world that says, if we're Christians and if we feel like the, that we don't get to dominate the culture or dominate our society and use that power to um, force other people to do those things, that we're going to get it one way or another. You know, if I feel persecuted, I'm going to, I should be able to punch back. I should be able to, um, you know, take control of whatever because it's my right to do that. And this is saying the exact opposite. He's inviting us to follow Christ's example. 
There's this idea that because Jesus suffered, we no longer have to. And this is actually very <laughs> the very opposite of what uh, the New Testament teaches over and over again, is that because Jesus suffered, we actually suffer with him, and he suffers with us. And through that unification, because Jesus suffered and then was also resurrected into glory and honor, we also, when we suffer with Jesus, will be resurrected into glory and honor. It's part of the process to uh, being redeemed and, and being united with Christ. You know, I think this is something that uh, we've gotten deeply wrong in our world and so many of our churches and for so many Christians. You know, just as a, uh, to me, a very uh, interesting concrete example, you know, there's this thing where um, Protestants typically wear uh, crosses. You know, if they, if, if Protestants wear a cross or something to show their devotion to Christ, they wear just the cross. And for Catholics, they actually wear a crucifix. You know, it's a cross with Jesus on it. I find that really fascinating, that, that broad difference between Catholics and Protestants. And I think it brings out something here that uh, perhaps Protestants haven't understood enough, is that um, for Protestants, the cross is just this moment where Jesus suffers so that we can receive grace. And I think Catholics through, you know, even this very concrete example of the crucifix, they've understood that um, actually the cross was Jesus suffering with us and inviting us into that same suffering so that us and the entire world could be redeemed. There's this redemption of suffering itself so that the entire world can experience suffering and so be united with Christ and then be redeemed in Christ. And so I think that really changes how we, how we treat the people around us when we feel wronged, when we feel hurt, when we do suffer. We are called to suffer like Jesus suffered. We're, we're called to follow in his footsteps. There's another verse that I think really brings us out in a, a really powerful, beautiful way. Because this idea of, you know, really suffering with Jesus and following in those footsteps is just a theme that we see throughout First Peter. This is uh, another one. So this is chapter 4, starting in verse 12. He says, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings, that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. If you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed, because the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. And so I think that really brings out and, and brings together some of those things that I was just mentioning, that um, the early Christians actually saw um, 
saw their suffering as a reason to rejoice because that was their practical unity with the things that Christ suffered. And that unity with Christ would also lead to their sharing in Christ's glory. You know, that's the central, one of the central messages of the Christian faith is that Christ, did he died, but he didn't stay dead. He was resurrected into glory and is now at the right hand of God. And so when we suffer, if we do it with Christ, it's actually a guarantee that we will also be raised with Christ and be with God in that way. And I love that last verse, how it how it says, when we are insulted, the spirit of glory and of God rests upon us. And so sometimes we are insulted. Sometimes it comes from uh, people who are not Christians. Um, sometimes it comes from people who are just ignorant. Some people it, uh, sometimes it's people who have had bad experiences with Christians. Sometimes we're insulted by other Christians themselves. You know, there's a long history of that within uh, the people of God, too. You think about Jesus was, on one hand, killed by the Roman government. On the other hand, he was killed by the people of God, the Pharisees, the Sadducees. I think many times we're also insulted by people who are the people of God. And so... When we are insulted, the Spirit of God and of glory rests upon us. Peter is trying to encourage this church to keep going, to keep going, to keep being the exile community of God who is keeping holy and doing good and staying patient in suffering. And the way that uh, Peter ends this book, as we're kind of bringing this podcast home, I love this this final prayer of the book. I've really come to, in so many books of the New Testament and the letters, I've, I've really come to love so many of these prayers at the end um, and really try to pray them over myself uh, over our Missio Church community, over Sojourn. And I really love this one. So this is uh, in chapter 5, starting in verse 10. Peter says, And after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. To him be the dominion forever and ever. Amen. I love those four things. He will restore. He will confirm. He will strengthen and establish you. You know, some of us are needing restoration. Feeling beat up. Maybe sometimes we feel like we've gotten off track. We need a restart. We're needing restoration to something that we've lost. Some of us are needing confirmation. We need God himself to confirm to us that we are his children, that we are loved, that we matter, that we're worthy, that we matter 
in this community of exiles we call Missio. Some of us need strengthening. We're just feeling weak. We feel like we're trying everything that we can to do what God wants us to do in this life, but we just don't feel strong enough. We feel too weak for what he's called us to do. And some of us feel unestablished, feel tossed and turned by the winds of this world, feel like, um, you know, you talk about a time where we felt unestablished, um, thinking about quarantine and global pandemics, um, environmental issues, racism, all kinds of things that can make us feel unestablished. Maybe there's one of those that, that really sticks out to you, um, that you feel, I, I want to accept that from God. I want to be restored by God. I want to be confirmed by God, strengthened by God, and established by God. And I do hope that God himself would restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish us as a community together. Um, for this new season of of being exiles <laughs> coming out of quarantine, we are uh, sojourning into a new uh, a new time period. It feels like it feels like a a big change is coming as we're continuing to face pandemic, but also things are different and schools and it you know in person all kinds of things are in person. I hope that God will be establishing us. So to quickly sum up 1 Peter, this is a book to exiles. And as exiles, we are called not to prop up any kind of political system, any kind of ideology that um, is against the kingdom of Christ, but we are citizens of heaven. We are exiles. We are sojourners. We are living in a place that is not our own. And so because of that, uh, thank God we have a community together, right? We are a chosen people together to live that life out. And in our life together, we're called to keep holy, to help each other keep holy. We're called to do good work. You know, we're called to bless the city of Seattle, to love the people around us in practical acts of service and love. And in the midst of that, we might face suffering. We might face the suffering from people who don't know God. We may face more suffering from people who do know God. But other, either way, when we suffer, we can be patient and we can keep entrusting ourselves to God because we have Jesus's footsteps to follow in. And so as we do that, let's keep entrusting. Let's take this prayer as our own and ask for God to establish us as a community as we keep moving into the future. So love you guys, and we will see you next week on the Missio podcast.